Welcome, Impactful Parents. It's time for the Impactful Parenting Podcast, where I give you parenting tips and resources to make you a more impactful parent to your school-aged child. I am your host, Christina Campos. Now, let's talk a little bit about our kids, because this is where people are really going to get an idea of who we are, how we parent, and so we can move forward when we're starting to teach people and give them tips about parenting we're not only talking professionally, we are talking about our own experiences. And every single one of our kids is crazy and unique <laughs> and wonderful. <laughs> but I will leave yes. it crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And they're all so different from each other. Because I have one more than you. Maybe I should start because I have one yeah. more. Um, I'll start with my youngest. No, my oldest. We'll go with the first kid. Um, okay. My oldest son, he is now 21. So I could say, what did I <laughs> done with that one? I mean, parenting's never really done, but I'm over the hump, right? Um, and the journey with this one that I learned the most is when he was little, um, he I didn't know what was wrong with him. And yeah, I'm going to say that. I did not know what was wrong with this child. Here's what I saw. He was climbing all over the place. He kind of acted a little bit Tourette's-y, I'm not going to lie, because he would scream out in the middle of nowhere, like, what? Just like, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then he would... He would uh, he always had to be touchy-feely. He always had to be active. And then the most peculiar thing about things was when I would bring him into a group of people or a big event, he would go the other way and withdraw and get scared and hide. There are several birthday parties when he was two and three years old where we would have family members come over to celebrate him like any other birthday party. And I don't even mean kids, like just family at the house, but he would come out of his room to see all the people and run the other direction and hide again. So he did not like the the crowds. It was really scary for him. And on top of all of this, the kid refused to learn his alphabet. Refused. I thought, he's being stubborn. How dare he come and defy me like this? You need to learn your alphabet. This is a non-negotiable. This is part of life, kid. Um, but in the end... Um, he battled me. He would not learn the alphabet. He did not want to. And because of that, he actually had to revisit the kindergarten year again. I, I did. I held him back because by teacher recommendation, he was not ready to move on to the first grade. He did not know the alphabet enough to be able to recognize the sounds, you know, the, to say the letters. He, he downright was like, I'm not doing it. And the journey with that was over the years, um, I figured out there was a couple different things happening. He had sensory processing disorder, which is um, everybody has their five senses and some of it's on a spectrum like everything else. Some of us feel things in our five senses really intensely and some of us are sensory seeking where they don't feel at all. And I had to learn all this through my parenting journey about what the heck is sensory processing disorder? <laughs> um and so if you're hearing this and you have a child that's similar, I mean, I guess I would look into seeing if this could be what's going on with your child. Because it's on a spectrum, when then my child was young, he would swing from one end of the spectrum to the other. So 
most of the time he was very understimulated, couldn't feel. So he was craving touch and activity and it masks a lot like ADHD, but it's not that because his attention was still okay. It was not quite that. It was like, it just needed to physically be touching and doing things all the time. Um, then when we would get him into those big crowds, he would, if he was not the first person in the room, I figured out that if I put him first in the room and people came in little by little, he was okay because he was able to adjust. But if he just walked into the situation and there was a crowd of people in the room, a stadium or whatever that might look like, he swung to the other side of the spectrum and it was just way too much and he had to go run and hide because it was way too much stimulation. And you might have a child that's hiding, that doesn't uh, have real difficulty with really loud noises and or um, smells, can't eat certain things because they might Mm -hmm. smell a certain way. They smell things more intensely. Literally, your senses can be an advantage or a disadvantage to you depending on what you're trying to do. And I didn't understand this at the time as a young mom, especially as my first kid. Yeah. And along that line, of, why aren't you playing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so frustrated. And the kid has dyslexia, and it's pretty bad dyslexia. <laughs> um, he has a hard time really reading, read, reading comprehension, and being able to put, you know, just read something fluently, um, and and continuously with with any kind of pace. It was it was just hard. So through the years learning with him how to deal with both of those things happening at the same time, putting into massive amounts of different kinds of therapy, both for the dyslexia and for the sensory processing disorder. I mean, I call him my million dollar baby because I'm sure we spent a million dollars on him over the years, a positive, like no doubt in my mind. We did everything we could. Eye tracking therapy, uh, reading tutors, helping him in school. I had tutors come into the school. I mean, just anything I could do to help my kid. Um, and then along with the sensory processing, the same thing, going to certain centers that literally help specifically with that, ear, hearing, all the hearing, hearing, everything. We did it all. Uh, but that's what really what I learned from that kid is that journey of resiliency and supporting him through that it is not an easy journey to go through but i will say now that i'm at the end we have really good results we have made it through he has learned how to manage his sensory processing he has also learned how to create tools for himself so that he is a very successful university student at the moment like not struggling at all academically which honestly was one of my biggest fears for him as a mom. I didn't know if he wasn't even going to be able to go to a good college. I was I was like, well, you know, community college is good too, or a trade school, you know, and, and really getting my mind around that that might be the path for this kid um, because the reading wasn't there. And now to see him thriving in university is like so heartwarming mm-hmm. and it's awesome. I, I love that we're done. I'm done with that kid. Mm-hmm. The two that I'm currently in, you know, you never know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I feel like, yes, check the box. Mm-hmm. Done. Yep. <laughs> Your mm-hmm. first daughter 
you had a completely different kind of experience being yeah. her since you had her so young. Can you tell us yes. more about that journey of having a child yeah. um, just as a, as a teenager? Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely a journey. Oh, let's see. So yeah, having her so young and in a relationship that was not healthy, it was not good, um, brought a lot of challenges, right? Just having and recognizing that as I grew up of like this relationship is not working. This is not good for her. It's not good for me. It's not good for us. So having to walk away from that was really challenging and having to step away and, and knowing full well, like when I made that move is that I'm going to be doing this by myself probably forever. And, and that was really life-changing back then. So she, thank God, as my first baby and being young and dumb and not knowing anything, I was so thankful that she was so easy. She slept great. She ate great. She hit all of her milestones. Everything was so easy, which is fantastic because I wouldn't have known what to do. Right. If being so young, if she had any of the stuff that you had going on, I would be clueless and I was doing it by myself. So I probably wouldn't have been able to help her nearly as much as you could help your kiddo. Going forward, her and I were always so close. We always had that because of my background with my mom, we did not have a good relationship. And so that was my main priority with my kiddo is that I'm, I'm going to have a good relationship with my child. This means a lot to me. And Obviously, it's not about having no boundaries or never saying no or only worrying about being keeping her happy. That wasn't it. It was that I'm going to be a solid support for her. I want her to be able to come and talk to me about anything. If anything's going on in her world, I want I want this connection with her. And that I always put first before school, before grades, before any sort of, you know, extracurricular activity, it was, I want to have a good relationship with my child and know that we are solid and that she knows that I am always there for her and I have her back. Cause I didn't have that when I was growing up. The, we did have a bit of a patchy time, of course, during middle school and into, and it was really middle school, but kind of into high school a little bit. That was when I was married to my husband of my second two uh, my next two kids. And that was not a healthy relationship. I had so much learning to do and so much growing up still to do in that area of my life. And, and I do carry some guilt around that, that Asia was along for that journey with me. And she got a brunt of that too. We made it through okay, but it was a very tough time period when she was in middle school and just getting into high school when I finally left that relationship. And then we were back out on our own again and things got better after that. So once I was able to kind of recalibrate and recenter, put my focus back around my kids and especially her, because she came to live with just me while the other two go back and forth between me and their dad. Um, it, it kind of was a regrounding for us. And thank God we had enough background there that we were able to weather that storm. Because if I didn't have that with her, I could have lost her forever in those times because just because of the age, um, and, and just how hard it was. So fast forward a little bit more, we still had our bumps, um, but she finally graduated from high school. She actually graduated from the same high school that I went to and with the same, some of the same teachers, which was funny, great experience for her. And after that, then she went off, she tried college for a little bit, but she found her place in the world actually in law enforcement 
She has a story that is not mine to share, but she has a story of how she got into law enforcement and wanting to get into that to help people and to help be the protector of especially kids out in the world. So she tried an internship, fell in love with it. She worked, she's been working at a jail for a while now as a deputy sheriff um, outside of Denver. And she just recently got a job up in the mountains going on patrol, which is super scary as a mama, knowing that my daughter wears a gun and a bulletproof vest to school. It's, it's nerve wracking. We're always worried about our kids like forever, but but that is a scary profession to it is it but also proud very proud i'm so proud of her she has got her stuff together way more than i did when i was her age and and i could not be more proud of her and she just got married to a wonderful man that treats her so well because that was one of my biggest fears for her was me not having a good record of healthy relationships as you know until i've gotten older and being very worried that she was going to follow in those steps, but it, that hasn't happened. She is madly in love with this guy that takes such good care of her. And there's, I'm not concerned about that at all. So I could not be more proud of her. So it's the same thing. Like you, the first one, I feel like we always burn the first pancake, right? So you never know how your kid is going to turn out. Uh, yes. But once you get them launched out into the world, then you can say, okay, they're actually okay. Man, that was a bumpy ride. And you didn't know how it was going to turn out. But once they're launched and they're doing well, it's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole time I think you're a parent, you're always going, God, I hope I'm not fucking them up. Like, yep. I, I just hope yep. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Fingers crossed. It's then, not on purpose. You know, <laughs> and and you, you're never going to do everything right. Yeah. Never. But, yep. you know, if you can do more things right than wrong, mm-hmm. you're going to be okay. Um, yes. Or hopefully everything will be, it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, when you, when you think about your, your first child, what was the hardest thing that you had to do? Mm. Oh man, with her, I feel like make honestly with that one, it was the choice to have her because at such a young age, if I didn't like if I chose to not go through with the pregnancy, that would have put my life on a completely different trajectory, completely different. And in a lot of ways, and because I have a whole backstory around stuff, but in a lot of ways, she actually saved my life, right? Because I had, I had to grow up quickly and put somebody else before myself and to, you know, put my stuff aside and actually show up for her. So I, I feel like that decision completely changed the trajectory of of my entire life yeah and it was not an easy one to make when i was young and dumb i didn't know what i was doing but once i made that commitment and i was like nope this is happening this is my life and i knew it's a life it's not just having a baby it is a lifelong journey that you're committing to when you're having a little one that you had to make at age 19 when i was still a kid yes that's yeah that's yeah and (laughs) so many do right i mean that's not an uncommon story at all at all Mm -hmm. yeah for me my my biggest hardship i the overall hardship as that parent was really leaning in to i have a child with some special needs 
Mm-hmm. And I never thought that when I was going to have a child because my husband's really healthy. I'm really healthy. We don't have really special needs in our family. So the idea that I was going to have a child with special needs really did not even occur to me. Mm-hmm. And of course, special needs is also on a spectrum. There is definitely much more severe special needs than I had to deal with. And there's also less. So, you know, mm-hmm. but either way, it doesn't matter. I wasn't ready for it. I was not ready for that. And I had to accept it instead of denying it and hoping somebody else was going to fix the problem and, you know, get to the point where I wasn't just throwing money at the issue and really finally lean in and say, this is my kid. I'm going to have to put it yes. to helping them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much that we have learned as parents because we're not taught how to parent in school. And if we didn't have healthy parents, then it's starting from the very bottom and having to work through that journey. But man, our kids teach us a lot. You know, um, very brief, I don't want to get too much into it, but what I love about uh, us moving forward in this new season is that although we've come parallel in our journeys, our past is really different. Very different. Really different. Mm-hmm. I um, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I have a very supportive family. My family was, I they were never divorced, uh, very religious Catholics. Um, I mean, just they're, they are a rock. I never had any yeah. upbringing that was abusive or neglectful. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had enough money. And so it was <laughs> never felt like it was, I was a, I never felt a burden to my parents and I never felt like I was uh, hurting for anything. Like I got, if I needed shoes, I got shoes. I just didn't get the great brand new shoes, but I got shoes and I knew that. Like I was in a good place. And so, but your journey before that in our background, and I had a good relationship with my parents too. I want to say that, like maybe mm-hmm. not stellar, but like, yeah, I'm still, I talked to my dad. I had a mom mm-hmm. that I loved. Of course, my, unfortunately my mom passed away, but that was not until I had babies and I was in my thirties. So, and my upbringing was, was pretty solid, but Mm -hmm. you, on the other hand, it was a little bit different. Go ahead and just share whatever you feel. Yeah. Yeah. It was very different. And I've done so much work around it that it is easier for me to talk to. And I feel like that's what helps me actually show up for my clients better is because of what I've been through. But yeah, my, my family was not healthy. My mom had a lot of mental health issues, alcoholism. My dad uh, was a sweet man. He's still on the planet, but he's a, he's a sweet man, but does he did not have the skills to handle what was going on with my mom. And I can see now looking back on it, that my mom had trauma in her background, that there just wasn't the resources for her to be able to take care of it back then. And I feel um, that's kind of why I got into this field is to be able to help people like that, that there are, there are things that can, that can be done. There's, there's a lot of help out there and a lot of resources. My mom passed away before you and I met also in a very tragic way. Um, maybe, maybe we'll share that story at some point, but it was super tragic. And my heart just broke for her, especially now of just that that was her life. She was not well, she was not okay. And I have, a, and things were not good as a kid. I'm the oldest of six. And so having um, a lot of children to take care of when you're mentally ill, stuff does not go well. And a dad that was working, trying to provide the best that he could, but he did not have the skills to handle it. So it was, it was tough. It was a very tough journey. Um, but I've lo- I learned a lot from it, right? That's exactly why I wanted to show up for my kids better than when I got as, as a child. And there's ramifications of that. And like I said, if, if that, if that 
er if those early childhood experiences aren't well, we kind of have to pay for that and make up for it later in life. And a lot of people are on that journey too, still having to go back and, and work on those old wounds. There is so nothing like parenting to bring up those the, wounds that yes. you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Exactly. And it's tough. It's hard to sit and, and look at that stuff and say, okay, maybe I do need to go and work on myself first. And then I can show up better, both in my parenting relationships with my kids, but also in my other adult relationships. So it's been a journey. It's been a long one. I'm sure we can get into that more. Yeah. Yep. This is why you're here. You have so <laughs> much to contribute to this community. Yeah. I'm so excited. Uh, let's get to our second kid in line. Mm -hmm. Uh, my second kid. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. I laugh. I laugh now because you have to, because again, these are my kids I'm done with. Check. Yeah. <laughs> college and pretty much out of the house. You, and, it. Uh, you know, adults. And so I can, I can smile and laugh about my journey because I'm not in it. When you're in it, you don't want to laugh. It's not yes. fun. You're in the middle of it. <laughs> but when you can look back, I can bring humor and, and really see, you know, the, the path that I took and, and be proud of it because it makes me who I am right now. Right. Good and bad. So I laugh because this kid, uh, threw me for probably the biggest loop of all of my kids ever probably will even make the other ones because just honestly a little too good to be true. We had a great relationship, but this kid was on it with everything, no issues, good sleeper, everything until one day <laughs> it wasn't. I can't even tell you exactly what happened because for the longest time, I had no idea. Just all of a sudden, we had gone from middle school to high school and the kid just fell apart on me and I started hiding in their room all the time. Wouldn't, um, wouldn't engage in family stuff anymore. Um, just wasn't talking to me candidly the way we used to in our past. All of that, I dismissed to being a teenager going into high school. Then the grades started to slip, um, which was really outside of the norm for this kid who was a perfectionist. So then I thought, we have perfectionist issues. I started watching more closely, and it turns out that this kid wasn't sleeping at all. Mm -hmm. They were studying at odds ends of the night all the time feeling like they had to be perfect all the time. And I mean perfect in that anything less than a 96% on any kind of assessment was considered a failure in that mind. So, and I was like, that's ridiculous. I mean, come on, I'm a bee's good. It's good. Don't worry about it. These are good. Uh, why do, nobody's putting the standard for you? So what is going on? Um, literally, we were not pressuring parents like that. We wanted you to do your homework and be responsible, but we weren't asking for A's. Um, so then I thought that was the issue. And I started working with the school to try to alleviate that and saying, you have to sleep at night. You can't be so consumed with academics, mm -hmm. blah, blah, Fast forward. And is that, it was that the issue? It was, but only about 10% of the issue. Because to come to find out that my daughter came out to me as a son. And said, Mom, I'm I'm trans. I'm I'm a boy. And I and basically it was very I mean 
my son came to me scared and I could just see that he was hoping so much for the right answer for support from me because so many trans kids will come out to their families and not have that support and not be able to um get what they need from their family to be the best self and my kid although I have never said anything bad about the LGBT community in the past was still afraid of that in a really big way and so um luckily we were able to support this child in that journey and be able to allow this child today be the best self of who he is there is a lot that goes into this right that you can imagine that i don't need to get into right now i mean i could spend a whole hour (laughs) talking about my son and that journey (laughs) but what i will say is um what I learned from this is, is truly how to listen to kids. And I don't think that before this, before this period, I heard my kids, but I didn't really listen. And this kid made me listen to her or him. <laughs> like really made me listen yeah. to her. And I had to... Um, really go down to my core values of what's important in my life. What do I really want for this kid? And it does not necessarily have to be doing, has anything to do with gender at all. And had to really go back to those values. Um, And I am happy to support anybody who is going through similar experiences um, or even has a child with other um, identifications to the LGBTQ community because it is nothing like any other kind of journey that I think parents will go through. Mm-hmm. And that it's not, won't be for every parent because most parents won't have to go through that. But I do think that if you're in this space and you're listening to this and you have that kind of experience or I suspect that it's coming, some of you will. And I didn't, by the way, had no idea. Um, Then it, um, it is good to find somebody, whether that's a counselor, a coach, somebody like Melissa, somebody mm-hmm. like me, anyone like that, that that does have that experience in the background because there's nothing like it than than them living it. And so I just want to say you can make it through. <laughs> and it's wonderful. <laughs> and my my kid is awesome to this day. So it's it's yeah. good. but that is the big challenge I've had with that kid that had yeah. Now your yes. second. <laughs> Before we get to that, I just want to really sit back and honor you for that journey that you've been through. Because I, at that residential treatment center that I worked at, that's what a lot of these kids were. They were, they came out as a different gender to their parents and the parents couldn't handle it and they ended up kicking them out and they had, these kids had nowhere to go. And so they're all living on the streets or in treatment. Um, and, and it does really come back to how well the parents are able to let go of any vision or dreams of, you know, the, the picture of, and the story that they have of their child growing up and being able to let that go and really fully embrace who they actually are as an individual, which is not easy to do. We all have kids and we have this vision and the story of what we want them 
to be and what, how they want, how we want them to show up in life. And, and it is, it's getting down to that root of it of, okay, are they, do they have confidence? Do they love themselves? Right. Are they, are they happy, healthy, productive members of society versus, you know, if they're going to be wearing a wedding dress to their wedding, right. That stuff is kind of irrelevant when it really comes down to it. So, yeah. And there may be a, an episode where we can, if there's an interest in that, you guys can leave comments in the um, descriptions down below, but um, we could do, like I said, a whole episode. Mm-hmm. On that. And inside <laughs> the Impactful Parent app, I do have a full section just dedicated to LGBTQ parenting because it is a little yeah. bit different than, um, you know, it's like anything else, like specialty parenting, you know, mm-hmm. there's, I do videos on the dyslexia thing too, but on other things that, you know. And yeah. it is, it's, it's definitely a different kind of journey. And I feel yeah. sad for those, um, those kids that don't get the support because that's exactly mm-hmm. what ends up happening to them. I mean, the suicide yeah. rate is. Yes. It's devastating. Yeah. So good job, mama. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. It wasn't easy, but yes, I, did I remember. <laughs> I remember. Oh, yes. You've actually oh, yeah. helped me with that, but I'll get to that in a second. So my second one has also been my greatest teacher. From day one, that child did not want to sleep, always wanted to be held, was a, a major crier, like everything, so high maintenance <laughs> this child and i have learned so much patience and understanding and we are very different in personalities they're 14 now and now of course is the time where they're really pushing against me trying to figure out their own identity and and where their place is in the world and who they are and growing growing up they've always been very i want to say eccentric just kind of marching to the beat of their own drum, doing things their own way, not always following what I had in my head of like, okay, this is normal, right? My child would completely obsess about things from a really young age. At three, she was obsessed with saber-toothed cats and woolly mammoths and could not get enough of them. All the books from the library, all the documentaries on TV. We even drove out to California to the La Brea Tar Pit so we can go and see some of the skeletons and fossils out there. Um, she was completely obsessed. And then it moved to the Titanic. And for a whole year, maybe even two years, just completely obsessed with the Titanic and wanting to know everything about it. And there's, and I can go on, but each, as she, as they've grown up, it's like, just a different obsession. Right now it's a video game, which drives me nuts. But <laughs> but this kid is just, it's very, she's just very different. Um, there, there have always been a lot of behavior issues with her also. And sometimes it came out of school. It came out with her younger sister, definitely towards me a lot, which has been very challenging because I'm still the same mom, I feel like, that I was to my oldest one that was so easy. And things were good. We hardly ever fought. But my middle one just really, her and I have really, really bonked heads. And it wasn't until um, about a year ago that I figured out why of there's been stuff going on with her dad and some some not good, not healthy stuff for a young child to be exposed to. So now, and while it was a lot of conflict, now that I have more information about what's going, what is actually going on with them, and I can sit back and not take it so personally, now I can see, right, of that they're they're reaching out and they're coming to me and this is a safe place for them to be angry and frustrated 
and it comes out towards me, but now I don't have to take it so personally. Now I can sit back and say, okay, that it's coming out in this way towards me because this is a safe space for you to do it. So parents that are going through something like this, there could be something going on in the background, which I'm not comfortable quite sharing everything right yet at the moment. But when they're acting out like that, it's because a lot of times it's because you're a safe space for them and they're, that's where they can get it out, the anger, the frustration. Um, and digging a little bit and finding more information might be helpful. So you can, so it makes like, it's not about me. This isn't about me. And that's helped so much these last couple of years. Um, they are also kind of exploring their gender. She, she was born a she and has been for about 14 years. But again, in this last year, they've been kind of trying it on of what is it, what is it like to be a boy? And I feel like this is in, an interesting time in history, right? It's never been much of a question of, okay, if I'm, if I'm born a girl, then, then that's what I am. If I'm born a boy, that's what I am. Obviously, there's some gray in there that's been there the whole time. But now kids have this awareness of, oh, I can, I can try it on. I can try on being a different gender, just like trying on emo or goth or, you know, being country or anything like that. It's just a different identity for them to try on at this point. And that's how I'm seeing it is like this, this may or may not last. I have yet, it's yet to be determined what, where they're going to land on that spectrum of gender going forward. But you've been such a great teacher to me, Christina, of just allowing it to happen, right? And being the loving support and writing it out. There's, I don't have to write the future around what's going to happen with my child. If they decide to come back to being a girl, that's great. If not, and they identify more as a male, that's okay. And it doesn't, it actually doesn't impact me a whole lot. Like I can just, other than what clothes I get them, <laughs> right? Um, and I can just allow for that. And it's not, it, to me, it doesn't feel like a big deal. Now she's getting a very different message from her dad, but at least from, and on my, in my house, when she's here with me or he's here with me and at their school, they're very supportive, which I think that also makes a big difference if the school is really supportive and if their peers are supportive. So yeah, still in it at 14, still in it, have a few more years. Things are yet to be determined how, how things finally shake out. But um, it is nice now that I've had that awareness, all the pushback, it's not for me to take personally, and I can just be the calm, centered, grounded parent that they need for me for me right now. I just want to say that Melissa is not always the grounded, calm parent. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you right now. No. There are many times that we call each other on the phone because mm -hmm. I'm not that way either all the time. Yep. <laughs> we're like, what is wrong what with is this? <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. Why are they doing this? Yes. <laughs> And, completely um, and so thankful that we have each other in this space to be able to do that <laughs> and that that's um and that's normal <laughs> definitely a part of who we are you know we're talking to everybody out here like our yes. public self is so professional but um yes. our personal selves go through the same kind of struggles and angst yep. and frustrations as any other parent would and oh, one thing that you've had with this particular kid was a lot of times calling, calling me frustrated crying yes. being like this gets yes. so mean to me or this just oh, happened mean. and we butt heads and that, that it won't back down yes. or whatever <laughs> this, the, the day looked like. Mm -hmm. And it was not just 
a day was several days yes. after days after days that you've had trouble with this particular kid. Mm-hmm. And um, and just to go back to that, that if you have a child that is giving you this much pushback, angst, and frustration in your life, a lot of times as parents, our first instinct is just to be like, something's wrong with that kid. And, you know, you're pointing the finger this direction. You just like, ah, fix it, fix it. But really what we need to do instead is, is take a step back and figure out why the behavior is happening. And Mm -hmm. it is so much easier said than done. Like, oh my gosh, like it is so hard to step back and not take things personally when you have a adolescent screaming in your face and being Mm -hmm. so disrespectful and so rude. And you're like, why do I do anything nice for you at all when you are crap to me half the time? You know, just, it's so hard. It is so hard. Especially when I'm doing my very best as a parent after the not good parenting that I had, that I'm like, you have no idea how bad it could be. (laughs) Right. And coming from that place of like, things are not actually that bad. And it's hard not to stay in that space of right because but that's my that's my perspective of it for them it is their reality and they are that angry and they are that frustrated regardless of the situation for you it was uh something happening outside of your home Mm -hmm. and your home was a safe space to vent and i'll go back to i don't know if you realize this audience but we tend to be the meanest and most horrible to the people we love the most Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that again, because it's like, it's once you figure this out, then you can look at your kids in a completely different perspective. Totally. They will be mean to you more when they feel a lot of times safer with you. Not all the time, Mm -hmm. but there is an element of that. They feel safe with you. So this is where their emotions are going to come out. This is when they're going to be scale, kick and scream because they know that you'll love them no matter what. And they need Mm -hmm. to get that energy out someplace. And if they do it at school, they know there's those consequences and then it gets to be bigger. If they do it in the environment that is causing that, that's usually like, nope, they're not going to do that because that makes the situation worse. So where do they go? The safest place. And if you are doing a great job as a parent, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that safe space is That's you. That's where it's and going. now mm-hmm. you're, you're pulling your hair out because it's you're in a bad place. And it's exhausting and tiring and frustrating. Yes. And it's um, so hard not to beat yourself up of like, what am I doing wrong to get this behavior and to get this treatment? What am I doing wrong? When it's actually oftentimes, especially in divorced families, I feel like. There could be something going on that you don't know about, and that's why it's happening. Absolutely. And it really is. And so I guess my our tip too would be then really got to dig deep and figuring out where mm-hmm. is this coming from? And yes. it, it could be from the own your own house. It could be from a sibling. It could be from mm-hmm. Uncle Ned. Who knows? Yep. You don't know, but you got to start making your research and diving in to figure out where the behavior is coming from. And it not to say it can't be you. I mean, Mm -hmm. our own parenting can cause triggers in our kids just the same. But if you think that, you know, it could be an outside force. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Take a look at it. Yeah. For sure. Yep. And just like what you were saying is listen to them. Not just the words that are coming out, but everything that's swirling around them. It's really listening to them and seeing them for who they are and what might be going on. So I know you're still in the process of this one. Now we're into mm-hmm. the, in, we're in the middle of it, kids. So it's kind of harder to talk about these kids because we're yeah. in the thick of it. But what would you say 
would be your biggest lesson from this kid Mm. that you're trying to maybe work on right now? This one, my, this child has been my greatest lesson in patience and just being able to stand true on my side of the street, knowing that I'm doing the best that I can. Yes, I mess up, um, but staying patient with them and with myself and being able to make the, like, if, if there's a rupture, it's being able to, okay, let's, how can we come back and repair things? Because conflict is going to happen especially when there's big emotions involved, but to be able to come back around and, okay, let's sit down, let's talk about this, let's work through this so that we can actually be okay on the other side of it versus just letting it slide, right? And it's it, it's the same thing coming back with my oldest daughter of uh, this relationship means more than being right, than being the authority figure, than anything else. It's having this bond with my child that means more than anything because I still want them to be able to come to me and talk to me when stuff is going on in their world, if there is something big um, that's happening. So it's patience with myself and with them and that we're both doing the best we can right now. Yep. Future to be continued. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fingers crossed. Right. Now, as we get to the uh, my the next in line for me, that's my my third kid, and um, this is my son that was the sweetest thing in the whole world, super easy baby, and then again out of nowhere, it feels like behavior bad behaviors come out of nowhere in my house. <laughs> um, we went through a time in between the third and the fourth grade, yeah, around the third grade that he just um went berserk on me i don't know know what happened he he had some real anger management issues to this day i'll say i don't even know or understand what happened to my son from going from the super easy most loving little boy in the world that just wanted to be next to his mama and loved his kids and his family to I hate everything in the world, throwing stuff all over the place, um, making trouble in school, running out of the classroom. I mean, just it, it got really bad. And I don't want to share his uh, the like the the pivotal uh, experience. Because I will just say because that's his story. And just like because I'm in the middle of this one. Right. And I don't have his permission to tell his story. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time, though, that it hit the shit hit the fan the most mm-hmm. and uh, it made me go whoa wait a second whoa. this is actually really not going to go away mm-hmm. and um i am now extremely fearful for my child's safety that he is not going to hurt himself or hurt anybody else while he's trying to uh expose his rage and uh i don't understand what's happening and because i don't know what's causing the rage i can't make it go away, but I can't keep, I don't want to say ignoring it because I wasn't ignoring it. I was trying everything I can to support him, but I was like, whatever I was doing at the point, it wasn't working and I need to shift gears because if I continue on just helping him the way I have been so far, we're not going to end up in a good place. So if we did hit a really bad pivotal moment, um, I ended up changing him schools as part of that uh, journey 
and moving into him to a different environment. Um, this is goes back to me trying to create my own schedule and and like sitting with him. There were in the new environment, I was so dedicated into making sure that this kid wasn't going to hurt himself or anybody else whenever he were to get triggered with anger that I would spend the entire day at the school and just work mm -hmm. from the school. So I had to talk to the administration and be like, just put me in an empty classroom or office, move me around, stick me in the hall. I don't get care. But if my son gets angry, I don't want your teachers to have to deal with this. It's going to take away from the whole rest of the classroom. And this is me talking as an empathetic teacher because I used to be a teacher um, mm -hmm. saying, you don't need to deal with that. I will deal with it myself, but I can't wait for you to settle him down, put him in a safe place, go get on the phone and yeah. call me wherever I'm at, figure out how to get to the, I mean, we're talking about an hour later from the incident happening. I wanted to be there to figure out what is happening. How mm -hmm. can I calm him down? How can I teach him coping skills? And this is the kind of definition <laughs> I had with this kid because I was scared. I was so scared, yeah. Melissa. Um, yes. so to say, I know exactly what it's like to have sleepless nights and worry that the next phone call I get was the school telling me that something bad had happened again. Totally know what that is. Um, I was, I, I really felt helpless in the situation and even somewhat hopeless because I didn't know why it was happening. Mm -hmm. Like if I knew why. That's huge. Yes. And I didn't. And this kid wouldn't talk. And he wouldn't say. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if he knows. Right. <laughs> or knew. Yeah. Um, but eventually, with a lot of time and effort and patience and all the things, um, it did not go away overnight. But I will say that he's in middle school today. And we're back to much more regulated. Um, I'm not going to say everything's perfect because you definitely can trigger some anger in this kid and see the explosion <laughs> that happens afterward. <laughs> um, he's very capable. But to now feel confident that he can manage that anger, use the coping skills that we've worked on, practiced, taught, with all the things, um, and that he has now knowing that he he has he knows he has a support system. He knows that he where yeah. to go now and get help. And a lot of that made a difference. Um that we're we're doing good. We're in a really good place. And I would say that he's he's great. Like, well, yeah. Um, but you know, the future is still to be turned because this mm -hmm. he's still only 13 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so we still gotta get through those teenage <laughs> years. But it was something that was really scary for me in a period of time because um, – and, and yet I was grateful that the, the anger management issues happened when he was in third grade and not a full-grown man like uh, a 16-year-old mm -hmm. who was bigger than me. Yeah. Because he's already bigger than me at age 13. Mm -hmm. And I am at least at, you know, whatever age they are in third grade, which is they're, – they're smaller. I, w I was able to not worry too much about my physical safety – uh, to be able to approach him. I mean, I'm grateful for a lot of those things, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean I wasn't scared and I didn't go through it. Right. I mean, I don't want to minimize my experience either, but I felt an imperative need and urgency to fix this before it got too far. And I wasn't going to be able to help like growth teenagers, mm -hmm. you know? And so 
that's one of the reasons why I, I put it as a priority. It was my own fear that yes. I put it as a priority that this, this could get so much worse Yeah, if I don't help right now, right now, um, and really get it under control. And I don't mean just a little bit, like I, I was going to, figure it out. Yes. <laughs> um, and luckily I will also be say that I was still married at the time and I'm super grateful to my ex-husband for also being on board and supporting me along the way and being able to give me the ability to, to spend a lot of that time, um, with him and, um, and helping me with a little bit with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was quite the journey too. Yes. Yeah. And not an easy one of having to put everything else on hold while you're being there for him and attending to him and making sure that it doesn't get worse. And it's so maddening when you don't know what's the root cause of it. Out of that, um, my behavior management curriculum, uh, which mm -hmm. is an online course that you can purchase, but um, from time to time, I'll do uh, group sessions with it because it's one of the best things that we did to help with the anger management is we joined a group at children's hospital with parents with the same thing happening uh, around the same age group. Mm -hmm. And just to know that we weren't the only ones was huge. Yeah. Again, yes. it goes back to support that community. It was a big difference. It helped mm -hmm. in my journey, but I took notes of everything I learned and then I passed it on in a course because yeah, once you got the secret sauce to something, you don't keep it secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More people need to know. <laughs> and what about your next one? Your This is your littlest. Yes. This one's pretty short, actually. So my third one, I think she knew she was the third coming into a little bit of chaos because she has been mostly so easygoing. Just sweetest temperament, sweetest personality. There was some, when she was little, there was some delays going on. Um, she didn't want to eat solids until almost a year old. So I was still nursing around the clock. I finally took her to a specialist and they did amazing things with her and finally got her to eat normal foods. And now she eats, I mean, she's still a picky eater, but she's, she's a normal kid, right? After she got over that hump. And same with walking. She didn't walk. She would scooch on her butt, kind of like windshield wiping her legs back and forth. And she'd always hold on to things. So she didn't really have a reason to get up and walk <laughs> until she was about 18 months old. So right at that cusp of where they really start to get concerned, she went right up to that point and then she started walking. And now she walks and talks fine. So that was probably my greatest lesson with her, especially with little ones, is allowing for them to just develop to a certain extent on their own schedule. And if she would have been my first child, I probably would have freaked out a lot more, but having her as my third of just, it's gonna happen. Yeah, she might need a little bit of support, but she's not gonna be 13 years old like she is now and not walking. Like it's gonna happen, it will happen eventually. So there was some bumps a little bit early on, but nothing too bad. And now she is, she's super social, um, she, she loves her friend. She's in middle school. So that's what's important to her right now. We have a really good relationship. What I'm starting to see with her though, is she's a little bit of a people pleaser, which I am a little bit concerned about that with her uh, older sibling being so dominant and so 
gregarious and loud and just out there. She's definitely more of the quiet, passive one. Still tries to get away with stuff. So she's really sneaky about it. But she's definitely more just like, nope, I want to keep the peace over here. Don't stir anything up, which I'm trying to work on her work with her on that of it's okay to speak up, right? If there is something that you don't like, it's okay to say something and to try and give her that confidence and that um, the words and everything and the language around being able to stand up for herself because she she could be steamrolled a little bit because she is such a people pleaser, which I do have a little bit of concern about that. But for the most part, this one has been so easy. <laughs> Smooth sailing. Yep, she loves Taylor Swift. That's her new biggest thing right now. And makeup. She loves makeup right now. But she really has been an easy one and i'm so thankful for that but it's but it's hard right if you have an easy kiddo in comparison to the ones that are so demanding of your time and attention it's hard to remember that they still need you even if they're the quiet ones that aren't you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing if they're not the ones speaking up and demanding that attention it's hard to make it it's being more intentional about seeking them out finding them making sure that I'm still connecting with her on a personal level um, instead of just, oh, well, she's quiet, so everything's fine kind of thing. So that's what she's taught me. Funny because my youngest is very similar. Mm -hmm. They actually have similar personalities, our girls, and I don't have as much to say about uh, my last one either just because we're in the middle of it and she's younger and she's just now entering uh, – the teenage years. You know, I just don't want them to get steamrolled by the rest of the siblings because these other ones take up a lot of attention. Um, I'm grateful that my two older kids are actually out of the house now because it gives me the ability to spend more time with her, dedicate more intentionality time with her. Because when you have four at the house, they are all begging for attention, time, anything. Like it's... Um, they're, they're pretty needy. Even my the easier kids are needy. We got four. There's just a lot happening. So I'm really grateful that she's going to get a lot of her teenage, well, all of her teenage years still in a home where she's either going to be by herself or with her just one other sibling. And that's going to give me the ability to give her the attention that she needs growing up because it's that, that last one, you don't want him to slip into the cracks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> very similar in that it, they, they're doing good so far, but mm -hmm. I know I'm waiting. Yes. I'm, I'm waiting for her thing to come and I'm sure it yep. will come. And when I do, I'll talk about it here with yep. you guys. So <laughs> we're living it together. Um, to be continued. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to say this has been amazing getting to know you again, Melissa. Yeah. And I'm super excited about our new season that we're ready to embark in. Um, I'd like to encourage the audience, if you have particular topics that you want us to talk about, um, tune in every week because we are hoping to release every week, just like we have been. Um, and sometimes we'll bring in some other guest speakers. There's still a lot of great people out there that I'd love to bring on to the Impactful Parents stage to teach us a little bit more and so that we can learn from them because I want you to learn from as many people as we can. Uh, that's what it's all about, community and helping each other. And really, we are definitely better together than we are alone. So I just want to say thank you again to Melissa Clark. Mm -hmm. uh, all her information will be down below into the show notes. Um, and 
feel free to reach out to her if you resonate with Melissa and feel like she can help you in whatever parenting journey that you're going through. Her services are amazing and you can check her out at yep. fireandrainscoaching.com mm-hmm. and don't hesitate, really. I'm sure her schedule is going to fill up soon. So make sure yes. that you get on the schedule and you can see if it's a good fit. Yes, sounds good. Thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And don't forget, the Impactful Parenting Podcast is an extension of the Impactful Parent community. Go to the Impactful Parent website and download the free Impactful Parent app so you don't miss a parenting tip that can help you and your family. Thanks for listening today. So go to theimpactfulparent.com and see you next episode.